Uh, but I pray, though, as well, that we would come to see the word uh, as, as precious as gold. So let's pray. Father, we do give you thanks uh, that you don't leave us in the dark, that you give us your word. We pray that we will be able to declare, as the psalmist does, turn my eyes away from worthless things and preserve my life according to your word. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what is the trajectory of your life? Big question. And so to, to get us pondering that, I thought I'd share a, a poem, a poem that I first heard when I was in my high school English class. Some of you might have heard of it. It's quite a famous one. It's called The Road Not Taken by Robert Frost. It goes a bit like this. Uh, Two roads diverged in a yellow wood. And sorry I could not travel both and be one traveller. Long I stood and looked down one as far as I could. To where it bent in the undergrowth, then took the other as just as fair. And having, having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for that the passing there had worn them really about the same, and both that morning equally lay in the leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I took the one less travelled by, and that has made all the difference. I remember first hearing this poem in my English class and thinking, what on earth is it about? Uh, but as I'm a little bit older, maybe a bit wiser now, I've come to realise that this poem actually is quite a picture into life, isn't it? Our lives are full of moments where we have to choose a path. You know, we're confronted with different options, but we can only choose one. I wonder maybe what are some of the situations that you've been in where you've had to choose a path. Maybe it's a choice of what to study or what job to take. Maybe it's the choice of, of where to live or whether to pursue a relationship or to let it go. Whatever the situation, we've all been there. We all know this experience where we have to make a choice. And sometimes, you know, we, uh, we can, we, as we walk down a path, our choices end up well, don't they? We're like, that was the right decision. But then other times we can walk down a path and we realize, actually, I, I regret that I didn't choose a different option. So I wonder what path in life would cause you to say what, the, what, the, what Robert Frost said there is, that has made all the difference. I wonder what path in life would cause you to say you're blessed. Over the next three weeks, we're going to be delve into Psalm 119, and the psalmist at the very beginning of this psalm wants to show us the path to a blessed life. He wants to show us the one path in life that actually will make all the difference. And interestingly, it's not found in a particular situation or circumstance. The psalmist knows those things can quickly be snatched away. He knows circumstances change. He knows the holiday has to end. He knows that we don't walk out of our office every day feeling a sense of accomplishment as we've worked. He knows that relationships break down. The psalmist wants us to see that the path to a blessed life isn't found in any of those pursuits, but it's found in walking in the word of God. The psalmist knows that walking in the word actually reorients us to who we were created to be, to walk in relationship with God. And actually that is the path to blessing. Here at City on a Hill, we love God's word. And each week we open it up here at church 
uh, in our Bible studies midweek, we, we delve into it and we're convinced it's how God speaks to us. And it's why, it's one of the reasons why I chose this psalm to look at over the next three weeks. Because uh, this psalm, even though it's a mountain of a psalm, uh, hopefully uh, we will come away thinking, being transformed and seeing God's word as awesome and as how we can have a blessed life. But before we dive into this psalm, I thought it'd be helpful to think a little bit about the structure, the makeup of the psalm. Well, it's the longest, as I've already said, and it's actually a poem. Uh, you can see in most Bibles it has, you know, uh, the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Each stanza starts with a different letter. Uh, and almost every stanza, there's 22 stanzas, well, every stanza has eight verses. And in each sentence, the psalmist keeps using eight words over and over again. It's pretty hard to come past a verse where he doesn't use one of these words. The eight words used, uh, if you look at the first stanza, you'll see most of these. The first one he uses is law which could be a fully meaning of that word, could be better translated as instruction or teaching. Verse 2, he uses statutes. Verse 4, precepts. Verse 5, decrees. Verse 6, commands. Verse 7, laws. Verse 9, word. And verse 11, uh, he uses the word, word again, or could be translated as promise. Each of these words are repeated over and over again. Uh, and you don't want to get lost in these words. They're all actually giving a different perspective on the one subject. And that one subject is God's word. Each of these words is centering on how God has spoken and revealed himself to his people, whether that be by his promises or whether that be by his instructions. God is a God who reveals himself by his word. God is a God who speaks. And the psalmist, he plays with these eight words. Over and over again. Uh, he uses them interchangeably, kind of like you would a kaleidoscope. You know, he turns the cylinder time and time again, and uh, each time we see a different perspective on the beauty and grandeur of God's word. Maybe another way of thinking about it is uh, he's taking us for a hike around a mountain. As you journey around a mountain, you, you gaze at the mountain from different perspectives. You get to see, you know, the different moods and landscapes. And actually, you get a greater appreciation of the whole as you go for a walk around it. The psalmist is doing the same thing here. He wants us to slow down, take a walk around, and see the beauty and grandeur of God's word. See, the psalmist is in awe and in love with God's word. But I wonder, for some of us here this morning, uh, the idea of standing in wonder and awe of God's word, maybe it's not a common experience. Maybe you read the Bible and it's more out of a sense of duty rather than delight. You know, you do your 15-minute quiet time, you tick the box, and that's it. Or maybe there's other to do. You read the Bible, but it's more like an intellectual exercise. You, you don't come away having your affections moved. You don't come away, you know, basking in awe of God and how he's spoken but you come away going, oh, I've got a new piece of information to pass off and impress someone with. Or maybe there's some of you here this morning and you've actually never read the Bible for yourself. You've never opened it up. And maybe you're wondering, why are these Christians all on about this book? Well, I'd say, if you're in any of those groups, and even if you're not, the whole purpose of this psalm is written to move you. Its whole purpose is to open your eyes to see the beauty and grandeur of God's word. And foundational to seeing that is to see that the path of blessing is found in walking in it. 
And that's what we're going to think about in this first stanza today. Uh, The first stanza breaks down into two neat sections, verses 1 to 4, where the psalmist lays down this foundational truth of the path of blessing. And then verses 5 to 8, he shows us a prayer of longing for that way. So let's read verses 1 and 2 again. It says, Blessed are they whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are they who keep his statutes and seek him with all their hearts. Both these first two verses begin with the word, the, the, the words, blessed are they. Blessed are they who? What does the psalmist mean, though, uh, even by the word blessed? Well, being blessed here uh, in this way means more than a superficial happiness. It doesn't mean, you know, a health and wealth kind of idea. It more carries the sense of being made whole or, or lacking nothing. So here at the, the start of the psalm, He's saying there's a great billboard declaring, come this way for blessing. The path to blessing is found in this way. Choose this path. These opening verses are laying down a foundational truth that the rest of the psalm kind of builds on. And that is that there's only one kind of human who will be blessed. Now, I reckon this idea is very countercultural in our world. I think we'd look around and we'd say actually many people are blessed. You know, we'd look around and and see people with great finances, great properties, people at the cutting edge of their field and advancement in in their, you know, uh, jobs. Our society would say they're all blessed. Our world says, actually, there's many paths to blessing. But this psalm says, no, there's only one path. There's only one kind of human who will be blessed, and it's the one who walks in the word of God. Did you see that in verse 1? He says, Blessed are they whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Now, I wonder if I were to ask, you know, a Christian, where does blessing come from? I don't think the first thing that would pop into our head is to walk in the law of God. I think for many of us, we would say, law doesn't lead to life and blessing. Rather, I think we'd say something like, I'm blessed because Jesus died for me. He paid the price for me. I have this sure ticket into heaven because Jesus died for me. That's what blessing is. And the the Apostle Paul, uh, one of the writers of a letter to a church in Ephesus, he would agree. In his opening verses of his letter, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, I'm not going to disagree with the Apostle Paul. That, like, that is gloriously true, what he's saying there. We have this amazing privilege and blessings, but being in Christ. But I think the psalmist here is wanting to give us, uh, help us have a richer picture of actually what it means to live a life of blessing, what it actually looks like. Because we see in these first four verses, all these verbs pop up, all these doing words. Do you see it there? In verse 1, we have a walk. In verse 2, there's a keeping. There's a seeking in verse 2. Verse 3, there's a doing. And then verse 3, there's also a walking again. It seems that the the way of blessing seems to be an active pursuit. The way of of blessing is a journey and not just about receiving a heavenly ticket. The way of blessing is is spoken, spoken about of walking in the way God has spoken. For the psalmist, God had spoken uh, through his promises and through his law. And the psalmist knew the way to blessing was to walk in his ways. 
the way to a relationship with God was to walk in the ways that he'd set out. And maybe a question that's helpful is, what does that actually mean then? What does it mean to, to walk in the word? Well, these verses kind of give us a tall picture, don't they? Verse 1 says, the person who does, their ways are blameless. Now, I think this is another, you know, we might hear that, that word and we go, okay, well, it's unattainable. I can't walk the way, uh, of this path of the blessed. Now, it's helpful to realize, I think, when, when the Bible uses the word blameless, it doesn't mean sinless. Job, a uh, character in the Old Testament, he's spoken of, of as blameless and upright. But he was not sinless. Also, Zechariah and Elizabeth, the, the parents of John the Baptist, it says in Luke chapter 1, verse 6, they walked blamelessly in all the commands and statutes of the Lord. Sounds very similar to this psalm, doesn't it? The way they walked. But they too were not perfect. So what does it mean to be blameless? Well, to be blameless is to have integrity. It's to be the same on the inside as we are on the outside. It's for God to have our whole heart. You see, blameless is about the direction of your life rather than your achievement. If you like, it's a posture before God. For Job, Zechariah and Elizabeth, God had had their whole heart. So when when they sinned, they turned to God in repentance and trust. They trusted that God would not hold their sins against them. They didn't hide their sin. They followed the instructions that God had set out for them, and they were blessed. You see, the path to blessing is to seek God's word and to walk in it. It's to follow what he has said. There's no alternative path. The way of the word is the way to relationship with God. The logic of these verses is quite simple. If I'm going to walk with God, I must walk in his word. I must follow what he said. Imagine... If two people agreed to go on a walking, you know, holiday, and one of them says, I'm going to go to the Canadian Rockies, and then the other says, actually, I'm going to go walk in the Swiss Alps. It doesn't take a a travel agent to realize these two people aren't going to be walking together. And the psalmist here is saying much the same thing. The path to blessing is to walk in God's word. It's to walk with him in the journey of your life. That's the way to relationship with him. That's the way to lack nothing. It's to walk with him. But I think a question worth asking at this point is, do you believe that? Do you believe that walking with the word of God as your guide is the only path to blessing? I think our world wants us to think that's, it's not that black and white. Our world wants us to think that blessing can be found outside of walking in God's word, walking in the way that he has sent walking outside of a relationship with God. But every path that the the world says blessing can be found, it can be snatched away. But God's word is constant. It's unchanging and it points to a relationship with God. It's also worth mentioning here that the psalmist, when he, he wrote this down, he wouldn't have had the whole Bible like we have. He didn't know how God was going to act in the future but he was still unwavering in declaring this truth. He clung to the promises and instructions of God, knowing that walking in them was the path to blessing. He knew that walking in them was the path to a relationship with God. So if you've, you know, begun to grasp this truth, like the psalmist, how do you respond? 
Well, we see how he responds in verses 5 to 8. He, he responds with a prayer of longing for that way. The psalmist moves from truth to adoration. He moves from doctrine to prayer. And it's a deeply passionate prayer, an urgent prayer. Have a look at, at verse 5. He says, Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. The psalmist knows his life doesn't match up God's ways. He knows that he actually doesn't fully walk in God's ways. He wants to live this life of blessing, but he knows he can't do it on his own. He knows that that is the path to a relationship with God. And so he turns to God and asks God to act. He longs, do you see that in verse 6, to not be put to shame. In verse 8, he longs to not be forsaken by God. And in verse 7, he desires to praise God. So he desires a relationship with God, to, for God to have his whole heart. And so he wants God to change his heart so he can learn to keep God's ways fully. Elsewhere in the, the psalm, this longing a desire is picked up. In verse 37, he says, Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Or verse 88, he says, In your steadfast love, give me life, that I may keep the testimonies of your word. See, the psalmist knows that he can only seek God when God has done a work in him. One commentator helpfully puts it like this. He says, The psalmist does not teach that life is gained by obedience, but that life and blessing find its origin in God's gracious work. And this this way of God, it's the way he's always acted. God is a God of grace. You see, left to our own devices, we would never walk God's way. We would never choose his path. Left to our own devices, we would forever be forsaken by God. And that's why the news of Jesus is such good news. The letter of the Ephesians in chapter 2, it says this. It says, as for you... You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world. See what it's saying there? When you follow the ways of the world, it's the way of the dead. But it goes on in verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. You see, by Jesus coming to earth and perfectly walking God's way, by him doing no wrong, by him fully keeping God's word, and by him humbly laying down his life for us, we can now have life and we can now fully walk God's way. We can now walk the path of the blessed. We can now seek God fully in his word because he first sought us. You see, God has, has taken the initiative in sending his son to the earth, the word became flesh. So now we can walk in the way of the word. We can now seek him with our whole heart because Jesus has walked this path before us. I wonder what things in your life have your whole heart? What things in your life, you know, have your undivided attention? As I thought about that, I think the main thing for me is my family. Uh, my three girls, there's nothing I wouldn't do for them. They're my delight, a joy. They help me, you know, uh, pick me up when I'm feeling down. They help me laugh, laugh and not take life too seriously. 
and my heart just overflows for them. But you know what? Even though I love Mel so much, there's many a time when, you know, she'll be talking to me and I'll just be distracted. You know, I, I won't listen. I won't give her my full attention. She'll, you know, there'll be a quick, a swift uh, glare or a word saying, Paul, you're not listening to me. And it got me thinking, if I say God has my whole heart, do I treat his word any different to how I treat Mel at times? And the reality is, actually, I think I treat him far worse. The temptation to not listen or be distracted by other things is so strong, isn't it? The temptation to go days without opening up the Bible and listening to God is so easy. The temptation to waste my time on a million other things than to sit down in a relationship with God and walk his ways. It's a battle. C.S. Lewis says this, he says, When the whole world is running towards a cliff, he who is running in the opposite direction appears to have lost his mind. When the rest of our society is listening to a different song sheet, it's so easy to be swept along with them, isn't it? When the world says the path to blessing is found in financial security, in career advancement, in you know, a, a blissful uh, life in the suburbs with your family, when that's what we're constantly bombarded with, it can be so easy to forget this truth. Forget that actually the path of the world, the path of chasing after these things, is actually the path that leads to death. And the path uh, to life, to blessing, is found in walking in God's word. You see, following the way of the word will look crazy to the world. It will look like we've lost our mind. But walking in the word is the way to blessing. And it's the way to blessing because it's the way to a relationship with God. We're to daily walk in his word because it's how God speaks to us. It's how he comforts us. It's, it's how he reminds us who we truly are. 1 John 2.6 uh, says this. It says, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. See, the life of a Christian is, is not a spectator sport. It's not about cheering on Jesus and saying, he walked the way so I don't have to. It's not just about reaping the benefits from Jesus. No, we're to say, thank you, Jesus, for your grace, for your death for me. Then we're to walk as he did. We're to seek God in his word and to live in relationship with him. And as we do that, we'll be walking the path of blessing. We will lack nothing as we walk with God. And you know how I reckon you can start walking that way? It's by passionately and urgently praying. Passionately and urgently praying verse 33 of this psalm. It says this, it says, Teach me, O Lord, to follow your decrees, then I'll keep them to the very end. In essence, it's praying, God, I want to walk with you in your word every day. I want a relationship with you to the very end. Teach me, empower me to do that. How about we pray that now? Thank you, God, that you're a God of grace. That you don't leave us to our own devices, but you sent Jesus into the world to walk in your ways, to walk the way we couldn't. Thank you that by him and by your word, 
we can have a relationship with you, that we can walk in your word, we can walk your ways. Teach us, Lord. Help us every day to turn to you and to follow your ways, that we may keep them to the very end. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.